Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome, everyone, to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Did you know that silence isn't just about the absence of noise? It's a presence that brings us energy, clarity, and deeper connection. And that is why both of my guests today, Justin Zorn and Leah Mars. Now, Leah Mars is the sister of the incredible Roman Mars, who we've had on the Storybox before. I'll link that episode in the show notes below for you. But both of these incredible people have created a book called Golden, The Power of Silence in a World of Noise. And both of them take us on an unlikely journey from the West Wing of the White House to San Quentin's death row, from Ivy League brain research laboratories to underground psych- psychedelic circles, from the temperature, temperate rainforest, sorry, of Olympic National Park to the main stage at a heavy metal festival, to really explore the meaning of silence and the art of finding it in any situation. Golden reveals how to go beyond the ordinary rules and tools of mindfulness. It's a field guide for navigating the noise of the modern world, not just the noise in our ears, but also on our screens and in our heads, drawing on lessons from neuroscience, business, spirituality, politics, and the arts. Leah and Justin explore why auditory information and internal silence is essential for physical health, mental clarity, ecological sustainability, and vibrant community. With vital lessons for individuals, families, workplaces, and whole societies, this book that Justin and Leah have written together, Golden, is an engaging and unexpected rethinking of the meaning of quiet. Justin and Leah 
uh, make the bold and convincing argument that we can repair our world by reclaiming the presence of silence in our lives. And I personally really enjoyed speaking with Leah and Justin. It was such a fascinating conversation. And I highly encourage each and every one of you to get a copy of the book, Golden. Uh, But Justin Zorn has served as both a policymaker and a meditation teacher in the US Congress. He's a Harvard and Oxford trained specialist in in economics and uh, physiology of well-being. Justin has written for the Washington Post, The Atlantic, and many, many others. Leah Mars is a leadership coach and collaboration consultant who has led diverse initiatives, including a training program to promote an experimental mindset among multi-generational teams at the NASA uh, Goddard Space Flight Center and a decade-long cross-sector collaboration to reduce toxic chemicals in partnership with Green Science Policy Institute, Harvard University. She's worked, worked for them and many, many others as well. Help support Justin and Leah by getting a copy of their book. You can go and do that now. Link will be in the show notes below. But the idea of silence in such a busy world, I think we often take it for granted, uh, which is quite fascinating because the world is full of so much noise and really is it possible to get total silence, which is what I was wondering about during this conversation. But they answered pretty much all the questions that I have and more. And it's such an interesting deep dive and a fascinating time with Justin and Leah. And I know you guys are going to love what they have to say. So my friends, please share this one around. If you get something from it, don't forget to leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. And my friends, greatly appreciate it if you also pre-ordered a copy of my brand new book. It's getting so close to the release date. Links for that will be in the show notes below too. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to discover the power of silence as we journey into this story box today and listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Justin Zorn and Leah Mars. Oh, thank you, Jay. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Jay. You're more than welcome. Uh, I have been looking forward to this conversation because like I mentioned just a moment ago, I love having conversations about silence. And now this is not a silent conversation per se, but <laughs> we're going to be talking about silence and its importance. Uh, I didn't read out both of your bios because they're both quite extensive, but you both have done some pretty incredible things. So I guess the best place for me to begin would be give a little bit of context for my audience around what you both do or did in the past that got you to this point. So who wants to begin? Who's the lucky one that starts us off today? Can we just start, Lee? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking, Jay. Really good to be with you. My work has been at the intersection of politics and social action on one hand and contemplative practice, mindfulness, meditation, the search for meaning and purpose on the other. Um, I worked with several members of Congress in the U.S. Congress on economic policy, foreign policy, um, issues of environment, social justice, climate. And I also taught meditation in the U.S. Congress. So it was an unusual combination. And um, in my career uh, as a policymaker, I found that it was often too noisy to think. 
You know, the point of policymaking is to come up with solutions to help our planet, help people in need. But the name of the game is producing as much sound and stimulus, as much noise as possible, filling our days with as much information. So I made a shift in my life some years ago to be able to tune in to more silence. And that's really what the essence of this book is about, how to find big solutions that we need in the world by tuning into more silence. Hmm. Yeah, and I started out really working in crisis work, uh, runaway shelters, battered women's shelters, gun violence prevention kind of work. So very, um, like the work Justin described, um, important, uh, focused on advocacy, focused on getting voices out there, but also a lot I guess some tendencies towards burnout. It's hard, you know, hard to know when the right time to take a break is in that work. Um, easy to get seduced into thinking that you basically need to be driving like this all the time, and that's unsustainable. Um, I ended up transitioning into consulting work because I found myself really interested in how people did things, not just what they did how they solved problems, these complex social and environmental problems. And so in the last 15 years, my work has been more with scientists and engineers, worked with NASA in helping them collaborate better and keep an environmental mindset, and also working with a lot of chemists who are trying to remove harmful chemicals from our products and our environment. And those, those types of settings, what they're looking for from me is um, really a different type of container for thinking so that novel thinking can come forth. They don't want to just do the same old, same old. Um, so we basically found as we got on into this journey of the book that silence is one of those, I don't know, unknown, unsung heroes of, of um, thinking differently, allowing for marginalized thought to come in, allowing for brainstorming to be more inclusive of quiet, you know, introverted people, which scientists and engineers often are. So there's some sort of a, <laughs> I guess, an unlikely path that we took. Um, and then there, Justin and I met in the middle, and here we are trying to figure this out as families and workplaces and all kinds of things, societies. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting career paths. And I love how Justin also mentioned that he got kind of sick and tired of all the noise going around because you're right. The world is becoming increasingly noisy. And I think it feels like there are less opportunities for many people. It would seem to find times to be quiet and to be in silence with themselves. But it kind of brings up this question that I have for both of you. And I think we'll start with, with Lee first. Why do you think some people are afraid to be in complete silence? Mm -hmm. Well, we took that on head on in a chapter called Why Silence is Scary. We were very interested in that. Like if silence is so great, why isn't everyone just embracing it? And there's a lot to it. Of course, I think it differs for different people. Um, but we don't take that aversion lightly. There's real reasons in there. We might have experienced a lot of trauma and it might be that that is just really too much to move our way into just complete and utter silence. And as we explore silence in the book, you'll notice we look at it um, at one level, it's the absence of noise, and you mentioned complete silence, but really we kind of move into auditory, from auditory silence to informational silence, that which is on our screens, that is grabbing for our attention, to an internal experience of noise and silence. 
And that internal silence is something that we're really interested in. And actually, we find most people, when they actually get to that type of silence, they're pretty happy about it. They're pretty blissed out about it. <laughs> it's a beautiful experience, whether they get that from flow states or they get that sitting on a cushion with you know the mindfulness tools and that kind of stuff happening. But I think what one of the, the one of our main objectives with this book is to really broaden our thinking about what it is to be in silence, broaden the definition for how we find it so that it's truly the kind of silence that nurtures us and heals us and brings us that perspective and allows us to tune in to what is true and what's in our hearts. Jay, there was a study back in 2014 at the University of Virginia in the United States where um, the research scientists gave participants a choice. It was mostly undergraduate students and they could either sit in silence alone or push a button that would administer a painful electric shock. And pretty much all the participants had said initially that they would actually pay money to avoid being shocked. But in the end, after a lot of time in silence, 67% of the men and 25% of the women voluntarily chose to shock themselves rather than silence. And I think that that story is like so emblematic of what you're talking about. That silence is this space where we have to face ourselves. You know, in some languages, romance languages, English as well, sometimes diversion is a word for having fun or enjoying ourselves, that we're diverting ourselves. So one of the things we explore in the book is, you know, the, the etymology of that word diversion. It's like, what are we diverting ourselves from? We're diverting ourselves from having to face ourselves, from sitting in that room alone with no sound and stimulus, nothing to do. And that's scary for a human being because that's where we really have to meet ourselves. But one of the core propositions of this book is that that is really, really good for us. I guess in terms of the mental health side of things, that saying where they're, they're like silence is not golden. And I mean, for me, looking at that, I guess wanting to get help and wanting to get um, assistance in terms of my depression or my anxiety or healing trauma, that kind of silence is like keeping it to yourself is not good, right? Like you, you need to talk about it. But what sort of like what kind of silence or can silence be bad in a way if you don't speak up about it? Yeah, that was a sort of the um, shadow side of silence was something that initially uh, we thought we would just spend maybe a paragraph or two thinking about talking about. And, um, you know, I mentioned my work in domestic violence. Yeah. We talk a lot about breaking the silence and that's a very particular thing. We're talking the silence that usually helps um, you know, keep that abuse in place that colludes with uh, the abuse that the person is enduring or experiencing. So we thought we'd just say, we're not talking about that type of silence, but it, it was actually, uh, we, we found much more important to really unpack that type of silence. The silence, a silence that is imposed as opposed to a silence that is chosen through one's own volition. So a silence, not looking at that silence as complacency, complicity, um, even silence as violence. So we have a whole chapter devoted to that called the moral dimensions of silence. 
Yeah. And, you know, in this, we look at the idea that this silence that Lee's talking about, that, that you're talking about, Jay, of, of this silence's complacency or silence of not having the courage to speak out. You know, silence, that's kind of censorship, as you're describing it. You know, and we we say in this book that that refusal to speak is to speak out with necessity or in the face of injustice, it's real and we oppose it to the core of our beings. But what we what we found in the journey of writing this book is this understanding that the kind of silence you're talking about, that kind of closed lip complacency isn't silence in the truest sense, you know, because when we refuse to perceive or address what's wrong in the world, you know, environmental abuse or racism or sexism or just hurting other people, that's the polar opposite of clear perception and intention. You know, when we're really open to the world, you know, when there's the space in our consciousness to pay attention, we can't just be ignorantly satisfied to look elsewhere. Or if, as you mentioned, we really need help. If there's space of silence, when we can get away from the constant doing or the constant momentum of being hooked to social media, we can find the space in our consciousness to be able to speak more readily. So we talk in the book about this kind of bleak called it the silence. We talk about how it's really so often a function of how noisy our world is. How do we know when to be quiet or when to stay silent regarding certain big time issues and when to actually not be silent to speak up about it? Mm. Well, we look to, in, in the same chapter, we look to the work of Gandhi because a little known uh, practice of his was that every Monday he was silent. He kept silent. So he still took meetings. He still attended conferences and had people come together, but he chose to be silent. And so, of course, this is a man with an incredible uh, uh, task at hand to address the British Empire. All, I mean, just an incredible amount of work. We've talked about urgency, all that, that sense of needing to address these injustices. And yet he still took every Monday to be silent. And why is that? Well, I mean, what he speaks to is how important that silence was for his own ability to discern the right course of action, the, the truth that he was looking for. That was his, his practice for guidance. So, you know, we're not Gandhi, none of us, <laughs> none of us, very few. But yet, if he can take a pause like that out in a week with what he's up to, to discern the signal, what is true from the noise and all of that, then then we're interested in that practice. Because mm -hmm. what you're saying, Jay, really gets to this, this kind of basic assumption in our society that to do something, to be active, to be effective, we have to speak, we have to make noise, we have to produce information. And if you think about the way, you know, in Australia, like the United States, we often measure how productive our society is according to GDP, you know, gross national product, gross domestic product, how much stuff we're producing, not just industrial output, that kind of stuff, but also informational output these days. That's productivity. And it's the same thing in, in advocacy and social action. You know, did you get enough tweets out today? Did you get your message heard? You know, and one of the core ideas we explore in this book 
is that more sound and stimulus, just like more stuff, isn't always the most useful thing for the ends that we're actually pursuing. You know, the way we measure GDP right now, you know, it counts the more noise we create. It counts the more attention we consume that we chop up and monetize and get to advertisers. But the way we measure progress as a society right now, we don't measure the value of pristine human attention, the time in nature, the time playing with our children, the time enjoying good art, or the time thinking about a social issue so deeply that we discover just the one idea that is going to actually make a difference or find a new path forward. I love both of those answers, by the way. I think that they're great. Um, Before we go forward, I wanted to give my audience a little bit more context around the kind of thing that we're talking about because we hear the word often thrown around, okay, be silent or be quiet usually most of the time. Um, My (laughs) my dad used to have a saying, children should be seen and not heard. (laughs) Sometimes it was more like a joke, but... Um, the, the term, why, what is silence really? How does it differ or does it differ from the word quiet or they're both the same and why is silence so important? Mm. So, um, we didn't make a huge distinction between quiet and silence in our book. I think quiet is often what we think of ourselves as taking a little bit of quiet as opposed to taking a little silence. Silence feels a little, maybe a bit more formal, but we use them fairly interchangeably just to kind of put that piece aside. But what is silence is the great uh, question. And uh, we one we didn't know the answer to when we started out, by the way, and maybe we never will because it's quite mysterious and vast. One thing that's amazing about silence as a topic to write and think about and explore for your for you and your listeners is there are no experts in silence, mm. including us. Like everyone might hold a like a piece of expertise, a way of knowing and an innate human understanding, but there's no one boasting being an expert of silence. It's just really bigger than that, and that makes it pretty amazing. So on one level, silence is the absence of noise. It's important to meet that that piece. Um, And we also say that it's the absence of unwanted distraction, but in our ears, that auditory, on our screens and in our thoughts. So it's the space where no one's making claim on our attention. It's a place where nothing is interfering with that perception, right? So we asked dozens of people, we the deepest silence that they'd ever experienced. And they told us about moments that were not auditorily quiet at all. This is where things started to get interesting. They spoke of births. They spoke of deaths. They spoke of moments of awe. And your listeners probably can resonate with some of this, this question, what's the deepest silence you've ever known? It may not be that auditorily quiet. So they told us also about moments that were actually extremely high decibel, <laughs> like um, running the perfect line through roaring rapids mm. or hitting total flow at the 4 a.m. mark of an all-night dance party. So these, kind, these kinds of silence isn't just the absence of, of noise or absence of things like distractions, but the, a presence unto itself. So it's we, not... Sorry, Justin, before... Uh, 
Yeah, before you go, oh, I just wanted to ask. So it's not, so it's not really possible. Or as you guys did the research and and heard all the stories, so it's not really possible to have all three just perfectly still, basically quiet. At at least one or the other is quiet and still, whereas one is still going. Is that correct? Well, we actually are not sure there's such a thing as pers- as perfect stillness, as total silence as we think of it. That'd be Anywhere, death, right? It would be death. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. and we, you know, looked at the work of physicists and biologists and came to a recognition that silence doesn't necessarily mean total absolute silence. There was a famous 20th century modernist classical music composer named John Cage, who had this deep love of silence and study of silence. And just around the time of World War II, he went into what's called an anechoic chamber on the Harvard University campus, which is a room that's designed to be perfectly soundless. And he wanted to explore the silence in this room that was designed for that purpose. But when John Cage got there, he heard two sounds, one high and one low. And he told the engineer in charge that the room wasn't actually silent. Hey, this thing isn't actually quiet. And the engineer said to him, the high sound was your nervous system in operation. The low sound was your blood in circulation. So it affirmed for us, you know, this notion that we'll probably never experience silence in a pure, total, objective sense. You know, the whole universe is pulsing and oscillating and buzzing. And yet, you know, we came to a conviction in writing this book that there is something such as silence. There is a real phenomenon, but it's subjective. It's something each of us knows for their own self. We talked to an expert in um, in running um, meditation studies at Penn State University in Pennsylvania, a professor of biobehavioral health and medicine named Joshua Smythe. And we asked him for the definition of internal silence, silence within the mind. And this guy knows all the literature. So he sat for a long period of time and thought about it, giving us an answer. And then finally, in near exasperation, he said to us, well, quiet is whatever someone thinks quiet is. Mm. And at first we thought this was like, hey, that's kind of an invasive response. But the more we started to study what this really means, we realized that this universe is brimming with life and possibility and and constant buzzing and oscillating and singing and dancing, which is a good thing. And there's also the silence that we can experience in our subjective experience. And it's something that's awakening and healing and centering. And that's what this book is about. Mm -hmm. And in this book, we do speak with all kinds of people who are, like I say, not experts, but definite devotees of silence. (laughs) They are devoted and they come basically, instead of getting really firm with a definition about silence ourselves, um, we turn to what they, what the reader and what these wonderful devotees think of as silence. So Gordon Hempton, for example, is one of the world's foremost acoustic ecologists who spent decades cataloging endangered soundscapes of the world. And he defines silence as time undisturbed. He also calls silence the think tank of the soul. 
And then Roshi Joan Halifax, who's a pioneering Zen priest and anthropologist, calls it the place where the egoic self rattles and scratches, mm. but also where we learn to listen and we learn to see. Mm. The Sufi teacher and mystic Pir Shabda Khan tells us, silence is not silent at all. It's teeming with life and joy and ecstasy, but it's quiet of thoughts of the self. It's quiet of foolishness. Mm. We talked to Judson Brewer, who's one of the leading experts in the neuroscience of mindfulness and addiction and habit change. And he described silence as the absence of the push or pull. But then as he thought about it more, you know, he said there's probably no such thing as a cold, hard silence. You know, as you were talking about, Jay, that state of absolutely nothing happening. But there's this warm, soft silence when we're no longer caught up. And what, what Dr. Brewer told us was that neurobiologically, when he studies what's happening in the brain in states of noisiness, there's a feeling of contraction. And when he studies perceived states of silence, silence in the external and silence in the mind, it's a feeling of expansion. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's one more, one more. The Aboriginal teacher and writer Tyson Yunkaporta. I mean, there's many more, but we have to mention Tyson Yunkaporta there from Australia. He says in his native language, there's probably not even a word for silence as we typically think of it because nature abhors a vacuum. It's back to this point. But he says there is a way to describe silence as a positive presence. It's the ability to perceive the true signal. And he says, and that signal comes from the land. Yeah. I, I've had Judson Brewer on, on the show. He was one of my first guests. We actually did a two-pilot conversation. Um, and looking back at that conversation, I kind of think that I need to revisit speaking with him again because <laughs> it was oh. one of my first ones and I, I just, yeah, nah. He's <laughs> so great, yeah. Back. He's He's awesome, honestly. Um, one of my favorite people to speak with on the show, to be honest. And there's a lot of philosophical individuals out there that, like you guys were mentioning, all all their ideas towards silence. And I, I, I love them all. Like there's they're all they're all great. And for me, I think silence, like the the, the most silent I've ever been. I think it happens every single day when you have a shower. As surprising mm. as that is, it's like you, you know, you're doing pretty much nothing. And you're listening to all the, the water goes over your body. It's just weird. It's weird how that works. Mm -hmm. But you're in that state of stillness in many respects. Yeah, I don't know. It's and a lot of people, Jay, talk about that phenomenon, like why do the best ideas happen in the shower? Yeah, you know, that happens to a lot of people. And it's something we explore with the neuroscientists and the contemplatives in this book. You know, basically that question, why do the best ideas happen in the shower? And, you know, it's the time when we're not producing or consuming information. And when we're constantly caught up in thinking of what to say, in having to perform, in having to be consuming information, reading something, listening to a podcast, 
whatever it might be, you know, just making sure we fill the space, then it's tough to make room for genuinely new ideas. You know, it's hard to drop into those deeper levels of listening and attention. And it's in those spaces where the really, truly novel ideas are found. Mm-hmm. I love that you mentioned the shower. We have this chapter called The Healthy Successor to the Smoke Break. Showers being much healthier than than smoking. <laughs> but love this idea of something kind of bite-sized that we do regularly that we can tune in, where we can tune into that silence. So makes me wish I we had that in there, but that's exactly it. The the way, what is the way each of us find quiet day to day in more rapturous ways? And how do we do that with family, friends, colleagues, things like that? So love that example, Jay. Yeah, I mean, there's probably in more times where I've been quiet or silent, but none, nothing is really coming to mind. The only thing that really is coming to mind is those shower moments. But is there any like any other moments that we can find for ourselves where we are quiet, like the shower, that we do come up with stellar ideas? Because that old adage of the best ideas, the best thoughts pretty much come when we are in the shower. Is it there any other examples of that that you've found in terms of your research when it comes down to being quiet or silent? Well, really loads and loads, to be honest. And not, you know, we're, we're not generally promoting, uh, well, actually sometimes we're promoting for the sake of finding great ideas. Like I told you about taking the chemists um, out to think differently about this really complex issue of all these harmful chemicals in our products and them being so largely unregulated. So we definitely want to come up with great ideas. So, I mean, this won't be a surprise to you, but I think we can continually minimize the value of being in nature and just, and not even like, you know, we go off into the redwoods for four days, but this can be really stepping outside your door and connecting with the sunbeams and the wind in the trees or the bird song around you and something that small can really make a difference in our thinking and our, yeah. Mm. Lee mentioned this healthy successor to the smoke break that we talk about, you know, and the idea is basically, you know, obviously people shouldn't smoke cigarettes, but we really lost something when people stopped smoking cigarettes, which was (laughs) these moments of pause in the day. So we explore a lot in the book, how to take moments between meetings, how to take moments when we step outside the door on our commute, to take time to just pay attention to the silence. We give the story of um, Jay Newton Small, who was a longtime White House correspondent for Time Magazine, super busy life, you know, following the president of the United States around. And she'd get home every day and sit on the couch and she would just listen to the ringing in her own ears. That's all she would do. And she noticed in like five minutes of listening to the ringing in her own ears, she noticed that ringing would subside. And then she would get up and she'd go cook dinner and go on with her evening. But one thing we study in the book is how the practice of just listening to silence can calm the nervous system. And there's even some research out there from uh, researchers at Duke Medical School that it actually can regenerate the brain. 
the act of just listening to nothing in particular. So one thing we aim to do in this book is to say, it's wonderful if you meditate, keep doing that, but you don't have to have all the fancy rules and tools of mindfulness and going to retreats. What we want to impart in this book is simply listening to silence. Your, your book title is called Golden. I love the title. Um, why, is, why is silence golden? So we, we look back to the origins of that phrase, silence is golden. And um, we find that the first known instance of it in the English language is from a Scottish philosopher and mathematician named Thomas Carlyle in the 1830s. And he quotes this line in German, sprechen ist silvern, schweigen ist golden, which means speech is silver, silence is golden. And then he says, or as I might rather express it, speech is of time, silence is of eternity. So we do some research in the book on the origin of this phrase, even beyond how it's used in English. And we find that an early Islamic isnad, which was a lineage of transmitters of a sacred teaching across generations, held that the origin of this same proverb, speeches of silver, silences of gold, comes, comes from Solomon, who's this great king known for wisdom. So we talk about this idea, silence is golden as this shorthand of knowing when to speak and when to abide to your question you asked earlier about when to speak and when to abide. And this is really not about um, so much better than both silver and gold are incredibly valuable, right? So we speech, I mean, we wrote this book, there's a lot of words here that this is an ode to silence um, done with words. And so there's great value for that. But we've perhaps swung as a society way too far towards the, sort of that <laughs> that default in ourselves, and so bringing in that wisdom, the ancient wisdom that's really found all over the world. That uh, silence is golden. That's what we're interested in here. And whose idea was it to write a book about silence? Oh, that's Justin. Well, it really came to both of us. I mean. <laughs> This book, Jay, grew out of a feeling of sadness and a feeling of despondence about the state of the world. I mean, I would say this book grew out of a question we both asked ourselves that's probably really familiar to you and your listeners, which is just what are we going to do about this crazy world? How can we bring more sanity? And we both, you know, as people who worked in politics and domestic violence and climate, you know, just both got this intuition that the prerequisite to solving all the challenges we face personally, communally, as a society as a whole, the prerequisite is getting beyond the noise. You know, the answers we're looking for, for how to solve all these challenges might not come through more thinking or talking. Yeah. And I attribute Justin just to speak to that because he was the one who gave voice to it. He was listening there was something in there. And of course I was having my experience. And so when he first said to me, how about silence? Thankfully at that point in time, I had enough silence in me to, to notice that that was the right, that was the right direction to go. And so we took on this journey. 
And we weren't at the time even thinking of writing a book. We wrote oh. an article for Harvard <laughs> Business Review on that topic. Um, and it was something we gave the editor at Harvard Business Review some ideas. You know, we were thinking business magazine, they're going to want something kind of traditional, official. And they wanted the piece on silence. So we thought it was a little bit out there for them, but we did it. And it ended up being really popular with their readers. It was one of the most shared pieces that that year or over a two-year period. So we just, you know, Jay, we just kept following the cookie crumbs, man. We just said this, this article is, you know, resonating with people. So we started interviewing people, you know, someone who'd been on death row for 30 years, the world's leading neuroscientists, poets and activists and politicians and artists of all types. And we started asking all of these people, what's the deepest silence you've ever known? I have a friend of mine, Johan Hari, who wrote Stolen Focus, which is right behind me. And it's a wonderful book. Yeah, oh, we love it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely incredible. And I love how he's he's talking about how all this noise is trying to steal our focus away from those peaceful moments. We need those times to be alone with oneself, away from all this distraction, because it just it conflicts us a lot of the time. And do you guys foresee the world getting less noisy? Because like books like yours and Johan's and I'm sure other people are are doing more and more research and and putting out more and more papers on the effects that noise does have, um, certain types of noise, I should say. Um, Do you foresee it getting better in the future or do you see it getting worse and more and more noisy? One thing I really appreciate about his book, Stolen Focus, is that he's so clear to explain this is a systemic issue. Yeah. People shouldn't blame themselves and beat them up, beat, uh, beat themselves up for being distracted because this is baked into our civilization at this point. It's how our systems are wired. And in a different way, we make a similar case, you know, about the noise of the world, about the distraction of the world. And I think it's going to take some real serious systemic shifts and we lay out what some of those systemic shifts would look like. Um, But one thing we do in this book, that's a little bit different from stolen focus and the other books that have come out, you know, around the attention economy to this question, you know, is society just going to get noisier? We're going to find more quiet, you know, is we lay out that there's something, there's something here about appreciating the presence of silence itself. Silence is something somatic. Silence is something vibrational, something that we can appreciate, something that we can turn to in our lives, something that's really a human birthright to turn to. You know, we go into the philosophical, religious, and spiritual and and scientific underpinnings of how that's the case. So to answer your question is yes, with the caveat that it's up to us to appreciate silence and to change systems so that systems of power and rules of our society honor silence as a public good. Mm-hmm. I just said, we do look at the, the places where we might have a bit of control or influence in our own lives. So this is not to assign blame at all, but to basically take charge where we can as well as in those places that Justin was pointing us towards. So even those tiny micro moments, like you appreciating um, the shower all the more, right? 
to really just <laughs> literally just soak that in, enjoy the heck out of that and let that fuel you through your day. That's the kind of thing we want to see um, our readers get into to, to take control where they can. And to really just add that this, that this onslaught of noise auditorily, which is without question on the rise, we have all kinds of science backing that informationally, which all kinds of books right now are coming forward to speak to the difference between, um, well, there's just so much input coming in through our attentional networks and yet our ability to process uh, that, that kind of information has not increased and won't. So we're maxed out and we've been maxed out. And then the levels of anxiety that are on the rise for us internally, our internal noise also undoubtedly on the rise as Jed Brewer and others are, are demonstrating. But the cost here is real. Like the cost, it's not just that our open offices are loud and we're distracted and not able to focus on our work. And it's not just that we're finding our one-on-one -on -one time with friends is interrupted by notifications from our phone or that we're replaying a difficult conversation in our mind just as our daughter takes the stage as the cyclops in the school play. It's cumulatively, this is about really where our life energy goes and where and where it gets pulled away from. And that's urgent. That matters. And we feel really strongly about it. And we're so grateful that there are so many people speaking to this issue in the different ways that we're taking it on. And we feel like we're joining something. And my gosh, I hope it makes a difference. I, I for one, am, am grateful for it. Um, I mean, more to what Justin was saying and, and what you were saying, Lee, I think personal responsibility. I mean, we do have, we do have a right over that. It is our choice. Uh, and I think that the more people that do understand and realize that this thing is going on systemically, then we can make the, our own decisions better moving forward so that we, we're not affected as much. And then we can appreciate those times even more of being in silence. Um, like you were saying, Lee, finding those little moments that you appreciate even more. I think that's real and that's that's special because we cut we cut off quite often can take it for granted, can't we? It's so simple to do that, and that is the point of of really all all the noise and distraction because there's so I guess also the fear of missing out too coming into play. Like that's noise, but if we can just say to ourselves, "Hey, can we just take a moment to relax ourselves, to be still, to be present?" in this peaceful, quiet place, then maybe, who knows, maybe we might see a reduction in, in mental health, reduction in, in many of these issues going on in our society. But I live in hope. <laughs> I live in hope. That's me. But thank you guys so much for, for writing this book and for being part of this journey and, and wanting to help others realize the, the importance and the golden aspects of silence. Um, yeah, that's my, my thoughts on it, <laughs> but thank you. Thank you, Jay. I feel like silence is here with us now. Thank you for that. You're more, you, Jay. I feel it too. You're more than welcome to finish up this conversation that I've really, really enjoyed. Uh, what were some of the challenges that you both faced in writing a book about silence? I mean, together, I mean, writing 
alone is difficult, but writing with a, a, a co-writing partner is can only imagine <laughs> the difficult. You know, you know, the big challenge was, you know, a pandemic happened right in the middle of it. And um, uh, my wife and I had uh, had twins. They're now two, which was a blessing. Thank you. It was a blessing. And it was also talk about, man, the antithesis of silence, you know, just being up all hours of the night. And we spent some time in the hospital and they were thankfully healthy. But, you know, I had to spend some time in the hospital there and uh and it was it was a barrage of noise, you know, going through the the pandemic, going through, you know, the growth of my family, and you know, Lee is a teenage daughter, so we all know the noise of that. And uh, <laughs> even though she's a delightful person, totally. And the one thing though is the writing process, the creative process, was just so lovely and good. You know, we really, I feel like we're able to tune into this this appreciation of silence together. And it was a joy working with you, Lee. Oh yeah, absolutely. This whole process has been incredibly blessed. It wouldn't have happened if, I mean, I wouldn't write this book alone. Justin wouldn't write this book alone. This book is about that partnership um, of us tuning into silence together. And we say this in the book, that silence is magnified when it's shared. And that's certainly true for us with this process of the book. So I really appreciate you asking that question because um, it's really one of the joys is that this has been a delight. Yeah. Well, that's that's awesome to hear. And it's good that you both didn't really face many challenges, even though you had a pandemic and you had two kids born during the whole process. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, congratulations to both of you for writing this book. I know it's a huge achievement. It's mm. almost birthing a new child into the world almost. Uh, people can get a copy of it. Is When when is it? Is it out now or is it when, at the time we're recording this, April 27th, is it out at the moment or is it coming out soon? It's available uh, for pre-order now and we would love for people who, who hear this right now to do that. The official pub date is May 17th with HarperCollins and uh, May 5th with Penguin. Ah, very nice. UK and Commonwealth, yeah. Very nice. Well, I, I for one, am excited to get my hands on a copy. Things are quite slow here in Sydney, Australia at the moment. <laughs> so some of my favourite books that are yet to arrive, uh, yeah, that I'm very interested in reading, haven't arrived yet. So I just, I'm excited. But I'll make sure that everyone knows where to get a copy. It'll be linked in the show notes below for everyone. My final question for you both, this is my all-time favorite question. Lee, if you listen to my conversation with your brother and you got to the very end, you'll know what's coming. So it's kind of unfair. And maybe, Justin, you listen to some of my other conversations, so you maybe have gotten to the end of those. Um, but this question is a hypothetical one. So I want you both to imagine with me for a moment that you have been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you, for you, Lee, and for you, Justin, of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument, but they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Who wants to go first? Mm. Mm. I think I can start us off um, 
I've been thinking about not exactly this for a bit, but really just tuning into my purpose and this book helped me do that. And the silence I've found even amidst all the cacophony is helping me with that. But I think if I saw, felt, heard, and it was demonstrated that I had honored the life I was given and that I'd celebrated the life I was given and that I'd invited others to do the same, not about me, but about in their own life, that I brought them that permission to honor and celebrate life that I would be incredibly fulfilled. Thank you for the question, Jay. I was mentioning when you asked about my work, uh, bridging social action and contemplative life. And for me, I, I think what I would want is that we found some ways, I and the loved ones and partners and collaborators in my life, found some way to help people go inward to find outward answers, to be able to go deeper, to find the answers and solutions, to bringing more people together, to living in more harmony with nature, to being happier. Mm. There's a man here that we interviewed for another podcast that I was a part of, and he encourages people to not go right, not go left, but go deeper. Mm. And I think that's so true. So I love both of your answers. I thought I'd, I'd finish up on that. But thank you both so much for your time today, your stories, your wisdom, your advice. It's been incredibly helpful. And thank you so much for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thank you for having us. It's thank been awesome. You I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.